Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Revolution recap, a very special bi-week edition for our listeners this week. We have a good interview coming up with Tommy McNamara, midfielder Tommy McNamara of the Revolution. Uh, we talk a little bit about how the team is staying in shape during this break, uh, what it's been like playing for the Revolution, and a little bit about his career before he came to the Revs. Uh, and then we also have some news on the back end of the interview since we last uh, stopped recording. We're going to talk a little bit about the bow extension. Uh, we're going to talk year-end awards a little bit. And we're also going to be talking about the upcoming expansion draft because it's never too early to think about the offseason. Uh, so all that news coming up after the Tommy McNamara interview, which we will bring you now. Today, Chris, Greg, and I are joined by a special guest, New England Revolution midfielder and former Brown University Western Mass Pioneers and Worcester Hydra player, Tommy McNamara. Tommy, while well, we'd love to discuss some of your past playing stops in New England sometime in the future, today we've got you on to discuss the Revs playoff run. Uh, first of all, how's it going? It's good. Things are going well. How's things going with you? Good, good, thanks. There's been obviously a, a very long layoff between the season finale and your first playoff match. Um, how are you feeling and what is the team doing to stay prepared for the playoffs? And have you, have you ever faced such a long gap between meaningful games like this before? Yeah, it's, um, it's definitely been a little bit odd, uh, especially with the playoffs and seeing how there's games starting this weekend and we're still about, I don't know what it is exactly, 10, 11 days out. Um, it's definitely a bit odd. It is what it is. Uh, we don't control the schedule. Um, in terms of layoffs, I mean, it's not too often. The The only time I could really think about is kind of what, what happened with COVID last season. Um, and maybe one or two breaks over the years, over the summer for a Gold Cup or something like that, where you went maybe close to three weeks between games. So it is what it is. We're dealing with it the best we can. Um, everybody else kind of has to deal with it a little bit as well. So. And, and Bruce mentioned there was a uh, scrimmage on Wednesday. How are you feeling following that? And you know, how do you feel everyone looked? Yeah, it was good. It was good to, to get out and play 90 minutes again and to kind of keep that, that same repetition, kind of keep the same scheduling that we've gone through, through the whole, throughout the whole year. Um, it's great that we're playing amongst ourselves because it gives everybody the opportunity to play 90 minutes to continue that fitness or work on it if need be um, so that everybody's prepared come the game. Uh, it was good. It was um, it was intense. People worked really hard, so it was good. And, um, you know, now we'll just continue moving forward. And one thing that's been really impressive about the team this year is there's been a lot of squad rotation, kind of some of it for some of it because of a tight scheduling, um, obviously a lot of international call-ups. How has the team been able to remain so consistent throughout the season, despite, you know, a lot of changes in the lineup game to game? Yeah, I think it's a testament to everybody. Um, you know, I think it starts with the, the front office and the coaching staff for the, the roster, the players that were brought in, and the roster assembled for this year. Um, I think they did a very good job of trying to manage everybody and, and and rotate so that people, you know, weren't out for months and then just had to play a game here, play a game there. That's difficult. Um, and then I think individually, everybody just showed their quality and their ability um, when called upon. And w whether that was playing week in, week out or coming off the bench or, you know, playing every third game or something like that. I think it's a testament to the character of the group that was put together this year. 
And obviously, it's been an extremely successful season for the Revolution, winning the Supporter Shield, setting an MLS record with 73 points. What makes this team so special? And did you have any idea or expectation that it could be just as successful as it as it has been this year? Um, I mean, I I I didn't think about points record or anything like that. But when when I was uh, when my contract was up at the end of the season and I was a free agent and considering what I wanted to do, it was. I felt very strongly that I wanted to stay here and be a part of things here because I, I honestly thought about it and I felt like we had the opportunity, we had um, the pieces together um, throughout the entire organization that we could compete for the supporter shield. Um, and with that, the other major trophies up for grabs. And so I think that it's just been, I don't know, it's been impressive. And I think why, why did that happen? I think it's a testament to the character of everybody in the organization. Um, you know, everybody stepped up, everybody pulled their part, um, and that's why we've been successful this year. And obviously we have quality players that help win games, but it's not just them. It's been the whole entire group along with the fan support that have been able to do this and achieve this all together. And, you know, part of that success comes a spot in the CONCACAF Champions League next year. You're one of the few guys on this team that's played in it uh, just a couple of years ago for the Houston Dynamo. How, how does that help you prepare for that competition? And do you think 2022 could finally be the year we see an MLS team win it? Hopefully. Uh, you never know. Hopefully. And, you know, we, we, we got to get through the playoffs first for us. But obviously, that'll be one of our targets next year when we start next year. But no, I think the experience that AJ and I went through together, um, I'm sure some other guys have some Champions League experience, but we, we did it together with the Houston Dynamo, um, is going to benefit the group to kind of understanding what it's like. We went down and we played in Guatemala the first game, and then we went and we played against Tigres the second game, and you know they've gone about three months without playing a home game for whatever reason with scheduling, and so they were very excited to finally be back at home again when we played them, so... I think, um, and I think it'll also help the guys that play internationally, especially in CONCACAF. So like Matt Turner, Henry Kessler's experienced it um, and kind of just understanding that it's it's a little bit different than what we see week in, week out in MLS. And do you think kind of jumping um, right into the Champions League early on and at the beginning of next season, I think the game start in early February, does that impact the off season at all and kind of how you prepare for the season? Yeah, you know, it definitely does. Um, we'll likely start our preseason a little bit earlier than the other MLS teams, which happens every year. So that's part of it. And then the other part of it is if we're going to be competitive in it, we need to be ready to play in that first knockout tie. Um, you know, our schedule is what it is. There's no real excuse that we've been in our off season and now we have to play again. Um, it's different than a normal MLS year where, of course, you want to start the year very sharp and in the right way but it's kind of I don't want to say okay but sometimes it happens where you start the season slow the first few games and you kind of build the group and build yourself individually into the season um you know we don't have the luxury of that come Champions League next year hey Tommy Chris Belucas here thanks again for taking time to do this uh you touched briefly on re-signing with the club this past offseason, but before that, you were traded from the Houston Dynamo to the Revolution mid-season uh, in the 2020 year, which obviously was a crazy year. Uh, what was your reaction to the trade? Did you have any indication it was coming? No, I found out um, we uh, it was it was just after the bubble um, with Houston. We were in, uh, eliminated after the group stages, so we were home earlier. 
And uh, we just had a friendly, like, an inter-squad scrimmage amongst ourselves on either Friday or Saturday night, and I was on my way to the stadium. Uh, got there as soon as I got there. I was told, you know, the head coach and the, the GM wanted to speak to me, so I figured something's up when you hear those words. Um, they told me the news, and, you know, it was obviously it took me aback for a second, uh, but I was very excited about it. I think that, um, you know, my time in Houston, I, I appreciated everybody I worked with. I appreciate the fans. Uh, I've said this before I think that you know unfortunately like I didn't fit the club and the club didn't quite fit me um, which those things happen and when I realized that I was getting traded to New England I felt like from the outside looking in it seemed like a place that would suit me uh, much better and you know thankfully that's how it's worked out. Well and as a you know, former Western Mass pioneer and Worcester Hydra you have a little bit of experience in the uh, in the region as well but uh can you discuss a little bit about what it's been like coming to New England and playing for the Revs? Because as a veteran, I'm sure you've heard that historically New England wasn't everyone's favorite place to play. So between your expectations when you arrived and, you know, the past two years now, how has uh, how has it been and has anything really surprised you? Yeah, uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if anything's like really surprised me. Obviously, you know, you, you hear things mentioned across the league but when I came here I, I had high expectations for for the club and they've kind of all been met I mean we I, I was lucky we came in and we have when I got here the beautiful training center was already here and it's it's lovely to work there every day it, it makes a massive difference I think the one thing um, I didn't really think about it at all um, but just how the guys on the team were going to be uh, I knew obviously from a distance playing against a lot of the core group kind of we had a little bit of a relationship but when I got here and I saw this just the quality of the people the quality of the players how selfless they were how welcoming they were um just the positive attitude and the culture within the club it was um it exceeded expectations and I think it's a really special group since I got here in regards to those types of things that are are very difficult to quantify well and the one other piece about coming to New England is of course Bruce Arena, uh, what has it been like, you know, playing for him? What makes him different than maybe other coaches you played for? Yeah, can you share anything about uh, your time playing under him? Yeah, I've I've really enjoyed it thus far. Um, you know, he's obviously been so successful in his career, and and so when I got the opportunity to come here and play for him, I was really looking forward to it. And having been working with him now for about 15 months or whatever it is, you get to realize that he's just. Um, He's someone that really understands the players, um, both what they can do on the field, their strengths and weaknesses, and their personalities a bit off of it. And he understands how to manage the season and how things, you know, how we match up against other teams. So what I'd say is he does a very good job of putting players in positions to succeed and asking them to do what they're good at and not just being very rigid of this is what I do this is what I want and you need to fit it or not fit it kind of situation so I think as a result of that he's gotten the best out of everybody on the roster because he's asked them to do things that they're good at he understands the players technically on the field and what they're capable of but also off the field in their personalities what they're like um, so it's been uh, it's been it's been very enjoyable well, and then, you know, getting back towards this season now, the midfield, it's been a pretty pretty strong point, maybe a bit quietly strong, uh, with a lot of depth going on in the center of the midfield in particular. 
Are you able to speak to the competition and what that's been like for you and how it's been playing with, you know, other MLS veterans like Scott Caldwell and Matt Polster? Yeah, it's been good. I mean, right from the start of this year, um, we had a lot of people in the midfield and with Luis coming back from injury as well. He came back, unfortunately, kind of got re-injured again a little bit. Um, And uh, it's been good. I mean, we... If you want a team to be successful, you need competition spots. Um, and as a player, you need to accept that to be on a successful team, that that's what it's going to be like, and you need to fight for your spots every day. And that's how, that's part of the reason why we've been so good this year, is that there's been competition across the across the 11, and particularly in the midfield. And I think the group of midfielders we have, I think it's a very good group. I think it's has a lot of has a lot of quality in there but what i'd also say is it, we all kind of have our own different strengths and weaknesses and so it's good to have variety it's good to have other options um particularly uh, depending on who you're going to play and and what's what our team needs to do and who's available that type of thing and so it's been good here um i really enjoyed playing with everyone that i play with in the midfield but honestly across the whole starting 11. Mm. Uh, I got one more question for you before we move on to Greg's questions here. Uh, the Rebs are going to be facing the winner of Atlanta and New York City, which is taking place this weekend. Are you personally hoping for a matchup against NYCFC, your former team that you spent several years with? Uh, no, I don't really care, to be honest. Um, <laughs> I'm looking forward to watching the match and seeing who it is. And, mm. you know, ho- hopefully the better team wins on the day, whoever that might be. And whoever it is, we'll, I'll be looking forward to it just as much as the other so no no i wish them both both well and look forward to whoever we play whoever advances i was gonna say tommy uh you know i think uh the revs have i think they're two and one against uh new york city fc and two and oh against atlanta atlanta has since changed coaches um how do you feel the revs match up against new york city and atlanta and is there a bit of an, an unknown with atlanta they've kind of finished the season hot uh, under their new head coach um how do you feel that the team stacks up against those two teams yeah um you know obviously we had a little bit of a success against them in the regular season i think they're both very quality teams um they play not totally similar but i would say they don't play um like extremely opposites uh you know they're gonna be they're gonna be tough games they both have some some very high quality players particularly in the attack um they're very good in transition. Um, and so I think, I think, but at the same time, we're a very good team too, and they're going to be worried about us and, and what qualities we have. So, um, no, we're not going to be scared, of course, of whoever we play. I, I just think that both of those teams are, are very good teams, and I think it's going to make it for a very tough game, but a very good game to watch. I do want to ask you some questions about your pre-revolution career, and I do want to touch on your New York City FC years. Um, You ended up with the expansion New York City FC side, uh, and you made quite an impact. You made an immediate impact on the field in those first few years of the team. Uh, You also shared the field with guys like David Villa and Frank Lampard. Uh, Did you learn a lot from those players coming up as a young player in MLS, and how did they help you develop coming to the league? Yeah, I'm Jared Pilo with another one as well. Um, no, they were great. Um, they were great people, first of all. Um, they were very approachable and, and just part of the group and, and didn't think of themselves as better than anyone else. And then the way that the the professionalism that they showed, you know, they, they collectively have essentially won everything that there is to win, all the major honors. Um, 
but the professionalism that they showed coming to MLS that they wanted to individually be successful. They wanted the team to be successful. Um, and just how they conducted themselves on a day-to-day basis, how they treated it as such. Um, so it, it was it was really good to see that. It was good to, particularly as a midfielder, to kind of speak to Andrea and speak to Frank or even just to, to watch them in training or, or, you know, watch them in games, the things, how they move, the spaces they're looking to get into, what they try to take advantage of. Um, it was extremely beneficial. These were top, top players. And so I was very lucky to have the opportunity to know them and to work with them. We also like to get players' stories of their experiences going through the Super Draft. Uh, when we have a player who has gone through the Super Draft, you were selected by Shivas USA with the 20th pick in 2014. Were you expecting to be drafted? Do you have any indication that Shivas was interested? Uh, did you think you might be going to a different team? Um, just kind of walk us through your your memories of uh, that experience of of going through the Super Draft. <laughs> yeah, um, I do remember it. Um... Yeah, so went to the combine and and going into the combine, I was um, I don't know, not unheard of would be the 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 wrong term, but I wasn't one of the top top players. Um, I had a good combine, which kind of pushed me up a little bit, and kind of came out at the end of it and kind of figured I'd be like kind of a late first round, early second round type pick. Um, at the combine, you have interviews with teams they set them up if they're interested in a player to kind of try to get to know them a little bit more and so i had interviews with i don't know what it was five six teams and looking at the draft order it was kind of like the 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 first round went 19 picks and kind of the teams that were showed interest in me the the latest pick that they had in the first round was about the 15th pick give or take um and then shiva had the 20th pick overall for the second round um and so I realized once I kind of got out of the after that 15th pick I kind of figured it was going to be Chivas that was taking me um at the draft table at the draft um where the players and families were seated they were actually the table that was kind of right in front of that group and so once I got picks you know 17 18 they they realized as well that that the other teams weren't interested in me and so they started looking over giving me thumbs up and all that and it was kind of funny. Um, you know, I didn't know what to expect going to Chivas, to be honest, given given their history and, and things like that. Um, what was happening with club ownership um, and how the league was at the time kind of trying to buy the club and then they did just buy the club. So I, I didn't really know what to expect going there at first. I just knew that Wilma Cabrera, the coach, really liked me. Um, he seemed very capable and that was a good start to things. And then when I got there, it, it honestly, it turned out to be the best place I could go. It was a great group of people. Um, I was able to compete and win a starting spot um, from day one. Uh, you know, unfortunately, I, I did my ACL in the sixth game of the season, but having the opportunity to play immediately as a rookie and be deserving to do so, um, that kind of also uh helped show across the league that, you know, even with the injury, I was able to come into the league and to do well for five, five and a half games. So I'm very happy that it ended up that I was at Chivas. Plus LA was nice as well. 
I was going to say, do you have any good Chivas USA stories? I know your uh, career there was six games until your unfortunate ACL injury, but uh, do you have any other good stories about that team? Because I, I, I don't know if our listeners remember, but um, 2014, that was a bit of a mess. Uh, they were That was kind of the last season. Um, there was a lot of questions surrounding that team. Um, you're, you're, it sounds like your overall experience was pretty good, but do you have any other good Chivas USA stories? Oh, man. Um it's tough because I, I was only I wasn't with the group for very long. I was uh, obviously in the preseason um, and then the, for the first six games of the season. So that was about, you know, a month, month and a half. And then once I did the ACL, I was pretty much um, separate from the group, just rehabbing for the rest of the year. I never got back into team training or anything like that and travel on away trips. Uh, so I don't know. I'm sure there's a couple of good stories. I, memories. I will say, though, I mean, I remember kind of from the summer, so the the league owners, a lot of the horror owners in the winter sometime, I want to say January or February. And, you know, we were contracted obviously with MLS, but with Chivas, and we kind of didn't really know what was going to happen. There was all the rumors throughout the course of the year that, you know, the club immediately flipped to other owners and rebranded, and we just kind of continue on. Um, as it kind of came into summer, then we started learning what the club might actually kind of just fold and who knows what happens to the players. And then kind of by the season, we weren't going to make playoffs at that point. Um, more rumors kind of popped up that, you know, the club was definitely going to fold. And then we got officially told either a day or two after our last game, we got officially told that the, the club was folding. We got informed that there's going to be a dispersal draft for the players. And it was kind of like, you know, speak to your agents and good luck. Like, hope it works out for you guys. And so coming off being a rookie, only playing six games and having an ACL injury, I was pretty, you know, worried at that point what was going to happen. And the draft took place about two weeks later. Um, DC United actually drafted me in the dispersal draft. Um, so I was, I went back home in New York, and about three weeks after that was the the expansion draft. Um, and I I had already gone down to D.C., met the coaching staff, met the medical staff. Um, was looking forward to going into their preseason, and then I was in New York doing rehab. Um, I didn't think New York City was going to take me in the expansion draft because they had the opportunity to take me in the dispersal draft, and they didn't. So I didn't think that they were going to be interested, and so. I didn't really pay attention to the expansion draft. I was doing my rehab. I just finished, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to turn it on. It was the middle of the draft. And the next pick was was literally my name going to New York City. So three drafts all in my rookie year. I, I, I'm not sure if anybody else has achieved that. You, you've you done every MLS mechanism. You've you've been a free yeah. agent. Uh, you've been traded. You went through the dispersal draft. You went through an expansion yeah. draft. You went through the super draft. Um, yep. you've done it all. Uh, you, you are entry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I missed anything yet. <laughs> do you, do you consider yourself a, a former DCU player? I wanted to introduce you as a former member of DC United, uh, but that got shut down. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how to take it. I guess I never, I never suited up or, or got a jersey or anything like that, but I did, I did go down after three days, um, in that brief, you know, two, three week period that I was their player in the off season and met the staff let the medical staff so they could check on the knee and everything. And like I said, I was looking forward to going there. I thought to see was a good fit for me. And, but I'm, I'm very happy that things worked out in New York at the time. 
Uh, Tommy, I do have one question here for you. We like to ask our guests this uh, when we end our interview, but uh, so far in your your long career, what has been the favorite soccer moment for you uh, in your career so far? Um, man, there's been a lot of good ones. I, there's two for me. There's two that stand out for me. Um, the first one would be getting drafted. Um, that day, my family was all there with me because it was in Philadelphia, so it was close to so home. And so much that my family, especially my parents, uh, have sacrificed the, the time, the money, the traveling. Um, they sacrificed so much um, to help me achieve my dream of, of playing professionally. And so to finally kind of have that moment where it became a realization in a very tangible way and to be there with them was, was very special. Uh, and then the second moment is, is definitely winning the supporter shield. Um, it's the first major trophy that, that, that I won. It's the first trophy that I won um, to do with the Revs, um, with the group of guys that I did it with, with the fans and the history of the club, I think is makes it even more special. And, you know, I was really lucky again and blessed that my family came for that, that game when we got presented it and they got to be a part of it. Cause again, they still, they just still do so much to almost every game that they can. And, you know, I'm very appreciative of them. Actually, I do have one final, final question for you. And I think this is a question that is on the minds of uh, every Revs fan. Um, Why did you cut the long hair? Was that a difficult decision? And uh, is there ever a chance we're going to see the return of the long hair? Um, It wasn't a difficult, uh, it was a little bit of a difficult decision. Um, I don't know. I I kind of have just gone back and forth with my hair over the years with different things. I don't know. I was kind of just got a little bit like sick of, of dealing with the longer hair. Um, I also think shorter hair maybe suits me a little bit better as well. Um, but it was a little bit tough because I, I knew that as soon as I cut it, I'm never going to grow my hair long again. So mm-hmm. I don't I don't plan on my hair coming back anymore. This is about what it's going to be like. Gotcha. Distant memory. Uh, yeah, well- I don't think I don't think I'm going to bring the mullet back again. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if anyone if anyone can can pull it off, it's you, Tommy. But um, no, actually, well, it. well, Tommy McNamara, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a great interview, um, and yeah, best of luck on the rest of the season. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Before we get into the rest of the podcast, I quickly wanted to tell you about the sponsor of this episode, Galasso Kits. Their mission is simple: to bring unique vintage jerseys to your home. The passion for the beautiful game doesn't have borders, and neither does their selection. And if you head to ColossalKits.com from now until November 28th, you can take advantage of their Black Friday sale, which will net you 30% off your order. Colossal Kits is the place to go if you still want to find classic kits, like the iconic crayon flag where there are currently six different pieces for sale, or maybe you want to grab that DC United top that Tommy McNamara never received. Or even more, for you MLS diehards, they have a Tampa Bay Mutiny kit that's $99.99 and beautiful. And don't worry, if you missed the Black Friday sale, you can still use code RESRECAP at checkout for 15% off your order. That's right, RESRECAP at checkout to get 15% off your order. Thank you again to Galasso Kits for sponsoring this episode. Now, let's get back to the podcast. 
And that was Tommy McNamara. Thank you so much for the New England Revolution and Tommy McNamara for joining us today. It was a great interview. Really enjoyed his insight. Uh, and it's not every day you get to have a former Chivas USA player uh, join the podcast. Uh, it's the dying breed. So we're really glad that we were able to get Tommy McNamara on the podcast. Uh, joining me today, Sean Donahue and Chris Velucas. Sean, how's it going? Good. That was a great interview with Tommy McNamara. I was glad we could have finally get him on the show. It's always good to have an MLS veteran uh, to add their insight. And obviously he's been well-traveled. He's played with a lot of great players. So we're really glad to have his insight. And we didn't have all the time in the world with him today, uh, but a solid 20, 25 minutes. Hopefully we can get him on again, uh, to talk a little bit more about his career in the future. But uh, Chris, uh, how are you doing today? Doing fantastic. You know, of course, getting to talk to Tommy was great, but, you know, also taking time out of my workday to record a podcast. I mean, can you ask for much more than that? I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, should should be noted that we are on our lunch breaks, just in case any of our bosses are That's listening. Right. We are recording during lunch, so uh, yeah, just just that little disclaimer right there. It's also nice to be reunited. I don't know when the last time the three of us did a podcast together, but reunited and it feels so good. Um, let's get into some uh, quick off-season news. Uh, the Revolution already preparing for the 2022 season and addressing arguably the biggest remaining need i'll say need it's not really a need but a huge huge item uh checked off and they've re-signed gustavo bow to an extension i believe it was a two-year extension uh great to have this done before the end of the year uh, and according to gustavo bow uh, he was asked if he had any other offers from other teams uh, and he says he doesn't even know because they went through his agent and the only communication he had with his agent was that he wanted to re-sign in new england so um, it did come out that Gustavo Bo did have uh, another option year left. There was a team option. So in the end, it seems like New England was never going to lose Gustavo Bo for the 2022 season. Uh, but still, Gustavo Bo probably getting a very nice raise uh, and the revolution adding at least one year of team control. I believe, again, it was a two-year contract. Someone might fact check yep. me on that. Uh, Sean, I'll go to you. Sean, it was a two-year contract? It was, and I think that's actually the perfect length to be giving Gustavo Bo. He's going to be 32 next year. He'll be 33 in the final year of this contract. And, you know, you hate to say it, but by the time he's 34, you know, you have to question whether he'll still be a DP caliber player for the Revs. And the Revolution will have time to evaluate that and, and you know, two years from now. But I think two years was the perfect length of contract to give a guy at Gustavo Bo's stage of his career. And it was great news for the Revs because, you know, we've seen lots of things over the years that made it sound like he might want to go back to, you know, Argentina to, to racing and play there. Um, and, and as we saw when this contract extension was, was announced, uh, a lot of his uh, his hometown fans were very disappointed to see that he was sticking with New England and not going back to Argentina. So good news for the revolution, bad news for them. And I think two year contract made a ton of sense um, for a guy of his age. Chris, anything to add on the Gustavo Bo extension? Yeah, you know, I I think it's it's good timing getting it done now. You got to go ahead and minimize distractions. I've been a, I'm a huge proponent on minimizing distractions, especially going into a time uh, like the MLS Cup playoffs. Number one seed, Supporter Shield winner, you have a lot of distractions going on around you no matter what. Minimize as much as you can. I still, uh, I think the the rebrand timing was bad, but that was probably, you know, set in stone long before any of this happened. But, you know, as far as Bo goes, get that contract extension. Uh, don't have to think about that. Don't worry about that. Just focus on the path ahead. And it makes sense. You know, Sean and Greg, you've both made all the points possible. I don't have anything else to add to those points. Uh, it just makes sense to to keep him here. He's been such an integral part of this team. Uh, I love the move. Yeah, and 
I made this argument in another podcast. I think Gustavo Bo has a MVP case as well. I know Carlos Gil is going to be the revolution representative in the MVP race this year. But uh, I, I think if you look at Gustavo Bo's season and how well he has improved as a passer, uh, he's had some amazing goals. I don't think he was nominated for goal of the year, which is crazy to me because uh, he had some absolute bangers this season. Um, this has been Gustavo Bo's best season in New England, in my opinion, so far. Um, and it's a little bit overshadowed by how well Carlos Gil is playing. But uh, he, he has an MVP case as well, uh, maybe not you know, the favorite, but as I say, I, I think he deserves a lot of accolades for how well he has been this season. And uh, I, I think this is also signals to me that the revolution are not going to be in selling mode. I think some teams, I, I look back to FC Dallas when they had that strong team and they sold off their pieces and they've never really been the same. And I, I kind of had this fear that New England might fall into that same trap, that Tejan Buchanan is the first domino to fall. Uh, and then Matt Turner might leave. And then, you know, what does Gustavo Bo do? Does he want to go back to Argentina? What does Adam Buxa do? Does he go back to Europe? Uh, so there was a lot of questions going into this offseason, but the fact that you have locked down Carlos Hill and Gustavo Bo long-term tells me that the Revolution are not going to be a team that is simply going to sell off their assets, pocket the cash, uh, and then just kind of hope to rebuild, which is what I think a lot of people might have thought, you know, six months ago. Uh, or, or you know, before re-signing Carlos Hill, it certainly doesn't seem like something the Revolution would do two or three years ago before the Brutes Arena era. So uh, really kind of good signal that times are changing in New England and, you know, they're all certainly all in for 2021, but, um, you know, they're, they're going to be a very strong competitive team next year as well. Yeah, and I wouldn't necessarily mean say this means that, you know, Books is going to be with them all of next year or that Turner is going to be with them all of next year. Um, but it certainly means that, you know, there's at least one less hole they're going to have to fill if one of those, you know, if one or both of those guys do leave. Um, and I think if you were to lose Gustavo Bo and Adam Buxa in the same offseason, um, and again, I, you know, I, I think there's a good chance that Adam Buxa sticks around at least to the summer. Um, but if you're going to lose both of those guys in the same offseason, I think that would be kind of an impossible ask to replace two strikers of that caliber in one, one offseason. Absolutely. You did mention Matt Turner real quick. I want to touch on that because a lot of fans are upset that Zach Steffen has kind of took over for the United States men's national team. Um, there is some question about what Matt Turner can do to reclaim that spot. And some people believe it is to go to Europe. So, Sean, real quick, uh, do you think that that is something that the Revs might explore, uh, maybe a sale to Europe? Do you think Matt Turner might push to move to Europe? He signed a contract extension earlier this uh, season, uh, so he should be in Foxborough long term. The team should have him under control. Um, I spoke privately to someone and I threw out the possibility of maybe doing a six month loan before the World Cup and then bringing him back after the World Cup or something to that effect. Um, what are your thoughts about Matt Turner? Uh, and, and do you think that he needs to go to Europe to maybe reclaim his spot with the national team? Yeah, I, I think he does. Um, I think unless Zach Steffen has a, a horrible run of form, I don't think Zach Steffen played particularly well in, uh, against Jamaica, um, but I, I think he played well enough where, or at least not badly enough where Greg Berhalter is going to continue to use him as a starter. So I think unless he gets hurt, um, that's the only way Matt Turner is really going to find his way back into the starting lineup for the U.S. You know, things looked a lot different. When Matt Turner had you know, started the first four or five games of qualifying, had done really well in the Gold Cup and you know, one goalkeeper of the tournament, and it looked like he might actually be the starter for the U.S. But it's it's very clear that no matter how well Matt Turner was playing, Zach Steffen was still the number one in Greg Berhalter's eyes. And I don't see how Matt Turner can change that through anything he does in New England, because I think Matt Turner has done just about everything he could possibly do in MLS to show how good he is. So with that in mind, I think he does need to go to Europe if he's going to win back that starting spot. 
you know, Greg Berhalter kind of made it clear what his reasoning was on Zach Steffen, and that was that he thought he was better with the ball at his feet. Um, you know, Matt Turner, I think, has improved a lot with the ball at his feet and with his distribution in his time in New England, but I don't think that Matt Turner is going to be able to prove to Greg Berhalter that he can do it at the same level as Zach Steffen unless he goes over and plays in Europe and does it at the same level as Zach Steffen in a similar caliber league, whether that's the Premier League, whether that's, you know, La Liga, whether that's in, in Serie A, uh, France, Germany, I, I don't know, but one of the top caliber leagues in Europe, I think he would need to do it. I think that's the only way he can win back that starting spot, you know, barring a Stefan injury prior to the World Cup. And and that, for me, really changes the math involved with whether or not Matt Turner looks to leave in this offseason or next summer, um, because as long as he was starting for the U.S., uh, you don't want to rock the boat. You want to hold down that spot and you know, play in the World Cup and get that start in the World Cup. And, you know, if, if being the guaranteed starter for the revolution and playing really well was enough to do that, then the smart move would have been to stay in New England and do that. But now I think the, you know, the equation on whether or not to take the risk and go to Europe and, and risk potentially, you know, ending up at a team where you where you don't play every day, um, you know, changes a bit because I think now he needs to take that risk if he wants to be the starter at the World Cup. I'm going to be a little contrarian here, right? And uh, first of all, I'm going to say, I think if Matt Turner wants to regain his spot I think all he has to do is just wait it out because Zach Steffen, in my opinion, is a risk versus reward type goalkeeper. Yes, he's very talented and he's he's good at, uh, you know, beginning the play out of the back. Right. But he showed in his last match against Jamaica that he's very error prone as well. And I think that it's just going to be a matter of errors that's going to that it's going to take for Zach Steffen to be uh you know, taken down from that number one spot, especially because he's not playing consistently. He's not getting consistent minutes, which means he's not going to develop any sort of form. I think that Zach Steffen's going to continue to show some sort of errors here and there. Uh, I, I hope he doesn't as a U.S. fan. I hope that whoever is in net is doing fantastic. But in my opinion, I think Zach Steffen is a bit too error prone to be the number one right now. And the fact that he's not playing all the time is really hurting him. Whereas Matt Turner is playing all the time, and now he's going to be upping his elevation or his the, his competition when he plays CONCACAF Champions League uh, coming up this spring, right? Uh, that's going to be a whole new level of competition that he hasn't faced before, and it's maybe one foot closer towards playing European soccer, but I think that's a story for a different day. I don't think he has to go to Europe. I think the fact that he's uh, just showing up consistently and putting in the work is really... Uh, all that matters. And when it comes to goalkeepers, I don't think it makes as big a difference that you're going from Prem to MLS. Uh, the shots are oftentimes, you know, still very similar as far as like the quality of shots. Of course, there's top tier players that are, are going to take shots that you, you won't see in MLS, but those are, you know, such a minute number of players that are going to take those type of shots that are going to be such, uh, such a different, thing to see but those are going to go in regardless of the keeper you, you mean like that care. shot uh, jamaica took that Stefan couldn't save <laughs> so all right you want if you want to talk about that one look i don't think turner gets to that save from Stefan's positioning but i think Stefan was sitting back flat-footed not expecting a shot and then if he was actually actively watching the play develop maybe he would have gotten himself into a better position to make that save um he kind of looked like a little high school kid out there trying to get to that and i don't mean to to throw shade at Zach Steffen, because I do like Zach Steffen. I don't want to sound like someone that doesn't, but man. I, I like I Zach Steffen. The I problem he is he sucks. <laughs> this, is, this is exactly my problem, right? Because I, I say I throw a lot of shade his way, but I don't mean to actually talk down about him because I do like him. I'm a fan of his, but I think that 
I think he needs more consistency. He needs more minutes. He needs to not be on the Man City bench. And I think that it's more an issue of what does Zach Steffen have to do to to retain or to hold on to that number one spot? And I know I've ranted for way too long on this, but that's that's where I'm sitting. Matt Turner does not have to go to Europe. I think it's more it's Zach, Zach Steffen's job I, to lose regardless of where Matt Turner is. I, I just wanted to clarify. I agree with everything you just said. I just don't think Greg does. I think, and, and I mean, Greg Burhalter, not Greg Johnstone. I, yeah, I think Greg Burhalter. Yeah. yeah, I think Triple G Greg. Um, I think Matt's, I mean, Zach Steffen has a, a lot longer of a leash than uh, Triple G Greg is letting on. Um, I think it's going to yes. take a, a lot of bad play from Zach Steffen for him to lose that spot. Um, and maybe it happens, but I, I, I think... And I also and I agree with you. I think playing regularly is much more important. But it's it's already clear that you know Greg Berhalter thinks that playing being on Man City's bench is you know more important or or, or is a you know an, enough of a high level that that doesn't matter. I disagree with that. We've never had a goalkeeper at a World Cup that wasn't the regular starter for his club team ever. Um, well, you know, barring 1994 and before when some of these guys were signed by U.S. Soccer Federation and didn't have club teams. Um, but beyond that, we've never had a goalkeeper that wasn't playing regularly for his club. And I think it's a really bad thing to have that uh, in a World Cup. Well, and. and- you know, triple G Greg is going to disagree with Chris. Double G Greg is going to disagree with Chris to an extent because oh. um, I just don't think there's enough time for Stefan to lose the job. I mean, what can Stefan would really have to have a disaster performance against an inferior team. And I just don't see that happening. There aren't going to be that many games against Mexico's. There aren't going to be major competitions really that Stefan's going to go out and lose. It's not like there's another gold cup that there's going to be a disaster that's going to, you know, Stefan can lose for the United States. So, um, you know, Stefan, you know, we talk about the Jamaica goal. He he played pretty well against Mexico too. Um, I, I think well. the U.S. has yeah. two gold goalkeepers. I think we can all agree on that. And I think the problem is I do think Berhalter favors Ste- Stefan, probably unfairly. There is a little bit of a bias there. We'll we'll go there. Um, but I just don't know what else Matt Turner can do to win the position. And if you were to ask me at the beginning of the year, what can Matt Turner do? to win the goalkeeper job from the United States, um, assuming Stefan is benched at Man City, which he is. I'd say something to the extent of, well, he's going to play well in friendlies. He's going to win the Gold Cup and dominate that, which he did. He has a really strong uh, MLS season, which he did. He's nominated for goalkeeper of the year. According to Analysis Evolved, Matt Turner had a minus 7.3 uh, goals ex- expected goals against differential, which is uh, the ninth best in MLS since uh, they started tracking that stack stat in 2013 it's also the third best uh season by matt turner so matt turner has three of the top nine seasons uh basically for stop shop stop shopping uh since 2013 according to analysis evolved uh, american analysis evolved um i mean he's done everything very very well this was considered to be a bit of a down season for matt turner and he's still an elite goalkeeper uh so he he's passed these tests with flying colors domestically there's nothing else he can do stateside um and the fact that Berhalter went back to Stefan for the Mexico game tells me that Matt Turner never had a chance. Um, it sucks to say that, but Matt Turner did everything right in 2021 and he's still not getting that, that shot. And so I do think he has to go overseas. Um, but to be even more skeptical, I think even if he goes overseas and plays in the Bundesliga for a year, um, and I'm going to self-correct here too, because the World Cup is not in the summer; it's in you know November because it's the Qatar World Cup. Uh, so he can't do a six-month loan. But even if the Revs loaned him for a year to a Bundesliga team, or if he went and he played somewhere internationally and he got in form, I'm not convinced Berhalter wouldn't just go to Stefan anyway. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think he not only has to go to Europe, he has to day in and day out show that he can play with the ball at his feet against, you know, high quality pressing teams that he's going up against and, and be an asset um, with his feet as opposed to, you know, what Greg sees as a liability. And he's not going to prove that in MLS. He's going to have to prove that in Europe. And wh- whether whether or not he can um, is another question, but I think that's what it would take. So are, do you think there's a little bit of Euro snob mentality going on or do you think it's, uh, you know, is it because he's got a Man City badge on his club or do you think it's because Greg, uh, Triple G Greg has a has a history with with Stefan in Columbus. I think both. it's both. Yeah, yeah, both. And 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 the fact that Stefan is a really good goalkeeper when he when he is playing regularly. Um, he's he, good. You know, we shouldn't. We, it, it takes it does take a lot for Man City, you know, one of the best teams in the world, to sign a guy. So there's no question Zach Stefan is a is a really high quality goalkeeper. And I think if he was playing if he if he was playing every day for Man City, we wouldn't be having this conversation. He would be the starter for the U.S. and and nobody could complain about it. So um, I think it's a little bit of both. Very good conversation. Didn't expect that to go on that long, but uh, very, very good points made by everyone around. Good for us. Good for us. Pat on the back for us. It's uh, been a while. We did it. We did good. <laughs> I just hope people will refer to me as Double G Greg from now on. So, <laughs> yes. uh, I do want to touch to. We're, we're recording this on Friday afternoon or Friday on our lunch break. Uh, I promise it's our lunch break, boss. Um, but yesterday, news came out about the Young Player of the Year. Ricardo Pepe is the uh, 2021 Young Player of the Year. A bit of a controversy because the players and fans supported Tejan Buchanan, but the media overwhelmingly came in and voted for Pepe. Uh, so a lot of Revs fans are a little upset about that. They believe there's media bias. I'm going to go to you first, Chris. Um, do you have any issue with Pepe winning it in general? And the second question is, do you have an issue of the vote breakdown? Do you think Tejan was robbed a little bit here? Oh, so first of all, no, I don't have a problem with Pepe winning it. I think he deserved it. I think he had a fantastic year. Uh, and just congrats to Ricardo Pepe on a fabulous, you know, uh, a breakout season for him. Uh, it's been great to watch him from afar. Uh, not so great to watch him when, you know, when when the Revs went down to Dallas. But uh, that point aside, the the vote breakdown, yeah, I, I do have an issue with that, I think. Because I, I feel like the, these awards, these accolades that you're getting – are should be weighted a bit more heavily in into your peers uh, opinions right so if i had a vote i would have voted ricardo pepe and i don't care if anyone gets upset about that i think tejan had a fantastic year as well i think that pepe played more i think he he grew more i think he he did more for the league um i either way you, you want to take tejan you want to take pepe I, it doesn't matter they they both had a fantastic season i would have voted pepe i do wish that the voting breakdown just just waited his peers or, you know, the players peers a little bit more. The actual players that are seeing this competition uh, day in and day out more than, you know, the pundits and the media getting their vote. I mean, that was such a lopsided vote for Pepe. And I think a lot of that is due to the fact that the media breakdown is very heavily American. And I think that there's a little bit of bias when they're seeing Pepe come in for the U.S. and perform. Uh, obviously he hasn't performed every game, but he's done well for the U S so far. And he looks like he might have a bright future with the U S men's national team. Tejon Buchanan obviously is doing fantastic with Canadian national team, but there's not as much, uh, attention, media attention when it comes to him playing for the Canadian national team. And I think there's a bit of disparity when it comes to that. Uh, and that might be why the, the scale leans so heavily in Pepe's favor. I'm not sure. I do think the right person won. I don't like how the voting breakdown though. Yeah, I I agree with just about everything Chris said, um, and I'm I'm with him. I would have voted for Pepe. I'm actually surprised the breakdown was what it was. I would have I would have thought that Pepe would have had more votes from you know the the team personnel and the players. 
Um, it, Tejan Buchanan had a really good year, but he only started 19 games. That's just a little bit more than half of the games this season. Um, so it's not like he was an ever-present force for the Revolution all year. Um, you know, he's a fantastic player. You can't take anything away from him. I thought he had a really good year for both the Revs in the U.S., but he's four years older than Ricardo Pepe. He's 22. What Ricardo Pepe did as an 18-year-old, scoring 13 goals, uh, starting 24 games, playing 31 games. You know, you could argue he was Dallas's best player this year, where you know, Tejan might have been, you know, fifth or sixth on the Revs. Um, again, the Revs had a phenomenal year. That's not to take anything away from Tejan Buchanan, but it, it, I think it was a very good contest between the two of them. Um, my vote would have gone to Ricardo Pepe, uh, but at the end of the day, I don't, I don't think anyone can really have any complaints. I, I agree with Chris that the breakdown was weird, and it's un, you know, I think it's kind of unfortunate when kind of the media decides a vote that everybody else thought should have gone the other way, but I'm just kind of surprised that everybody else thought it should go the other way because Pepe yeah. had a, a fantastic year. And Again, I do agree that there's probably some bias in that, you know, Pepe was playing well for the U.S. while Tejan was playing well for Canada. And a lot of the media are probably watching the U.S. games more than the Canadian games. Um, but beyond that, you know, what Pepe did as an 18 year old is, you know, incredible. And I think he's very well deserving of this reward. Yeah, the, the breakdown, just because uh, I have these numbers in front of me, Tejan Buchanan won the player vote 31.3% to 22.9%. He won the club vote 42.4% to 36.4%. Uh, and then Pepe won the media vote 59.1% to 19.7%. So um, the percentages, I mean, it, it isn't really close, too, because this, I don't know how they adjust it. I don't know if it's a, if every vote counts the same or not, but uh, essentially Pepe won 39.5% of the vote. And Tejan won 31.1%. So it, it wasn't even actually that close in the end um, when really it should have been. This was really was a two-man race. So a, a little disappointing to see that media breakdown. But again, I, I don't think you could really argue too much. I think both of them were very deserving of it. So they should both be proud of the season they had. Yeah. Also, uh, not not really talked about it, but Daryl DK, by the way, uh, down at the bottom here, 2.5% of the total vote, 3.6% of the player vote, 3% of the club vote, 1% of the media vote. Uh, a little bit surprising considering how much hype he had coming into this MLS season. Although I guess he missed part of the season with Barnsley, but you get my point still just kind of surprising to see him not even remotely close. So, Well, it's interesting to see his performance, uh, how it translated coming back to MLS when you think about how well he did in the championship. I expected him to really dominate and really, really get himself going about uh, when he when he returned to MLS. And, and that really wasn't the case. He did fine, but he wasn't an enforcer he wasn't changing the game for orlando so uh, i thought that was pretty uh, pretty interesting to see and i'm wondering if orlando should have taken those rumored 10 million dollar uh offers uh from about a year ago so well I, the one thing i will say is he did come on very strong at the end of the season he scored in four straight games to finish the year in seven of his last nine games so i think he started off very slowly when he came back or relatively slowly when he came back but then towards the end of the year, kind of made up for it and, and really picked up his game. Um, and, and it's very hot for Orlando going into the playoffs. Yeah, we'll have to see how the, how Orlando performs in the playoffs, especially with, with DK's form. Uh, some quick Revs trivia here for you guys. Who was the last Revolution player to win Young Player slash Rookie of the Year? Sean, do you know? I, I mean, I know, I know Parkhurst won Rookie of the Year. I don't know if he would have been the last one, but... Uh, it was Parkhurst. I was trying to stump you up. <laughs> it's been do you a know, while. Do you, do you know the other person who's won Rookie of the Year with the Revolution? Ooh. Um, so there's been two league Rookie of the Years with the Revs. Uh, well, Taylor Twelman, I think, wasn't eligible, right? Nope. Yep. So it wouldn't have been. Was it Pat Newton? Nope. Uh, hmm. you, I'm going to say it, and you're going to kick yourself. Um, yeah. I mean, I, sh I, sh I should get it. I assume it was in the 2000s, right? Yeah. Clint Dempsey. 
Oh, Clint Dempsey. Oh, yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> uh, I, well, so even me, I, who is bad at trivia and bad at Rev's history, I still should have got that one. <laughs> yeah. I was I actually surprised you got Parkhurst. And, or, I thought it was going to be the other way around. I was trying to trick you into saying Dempsey, but... No, I, my only question was whether somebody else had gotten it since him, but uh, obviously not. Diego was a good shout, but uh, no, Diego, Diego never won Rookie of the Year. Um, let's move on to, ahead to the offseason. Expansion draft rules have been announced just this morning, uh, so we'll get first kind of crack at this. Um, 12 players are, the Revs can protect 12 players. Uh, homegrown players under the age of 25 are automatically protected, as well as Generation Adidas players. Uh, so that means that automatically Henry Kessler, uh, Damian Rivera, and Justin Reddix are automatically protected. Uh, and then also you have to add in the fact that Scott Caldwell, Brad Knighton are free agents. Teal Bunbury has a team option, so he is under team control. He might be protected. Um, and the Revs can keep 12 players outside of, as I said, Kessler, Reddix, uh, and Rivera. Uh, so uh, someone on Reddit has posted the list of 12 players they expect to be protected. I'm going to read this off because I, I think they nailed it. Uh, but we'll go here. Uh, Carlos Hill, Adam Buxa, Matt Turner, Gustavo Bo, Andrew Farrell, Brandon Bai, Dewan Jones, Matt Polster, John Bell, Teal Bunbury, uh, Arnold Tristison, uh, and Tommy McNamara are the 12 that he has listed. Uh, also, it should be noted that Tejon Buchanan uh, is also protected. Uh, he is a Generation Adidas player as well. Uh, that leaves exposed Emmanuel Botang, uh, Wilfred Captoom, Luis Caicedo, uh, Maciel, Christian Mafla. AJ De La Garza, Edward Kizza, uh, Colin Verfuth, and Earl Edwards Jr. Um, Sean, do you have any objections to that list of 12 protected players that I just gave you? No, I don't. I mean, you kind of look at the guys that are left exposed, and I think it makes a lot of sense. I think, you know, Captoom has a very high salary for a guy that didn't play a lot of minutes this year. Uh, I'd be surprised if somebody took him. Um, you know, Luis Caicedo, his injury history, I think makes it very unlikely somebody takes him and probably, you know, a guy that's not worth protecting, unfortunately, given, uh, his inability to stay healthy for the most part of this year. Um, you know, if I'm, if I'm looking at that list and I have one guy that I hesitate on, it's, it's Maciel, um, because I think Maciel has been, you know, as a very, you know, very young player that's been very good for the Revs when he's had his opportunities. Um, but, you know, going back to who the revolution, who the, who's on the protected list, you know, do you take off Arnold Tristison for, for Maciel? Probably not. Uh, do you take off Teal Bunbury for Maciel? I guess you could make a case, but I, I think that list is, is pretty solid and, and what we'll probably end up seeing um, when you look at, you know, the guys that are, are, are left off exposed on that list. Yeah, I, I'm with you, Sean. You know, first off, I want to do a shout out to user uh, Casual Sacks on Reddit because they're the ones that put this together. Um, and so thank you for letting us use your use your list without you without you knowing. But uh, it, it's spot on, in my opinion, um, like you're saying, Sean uh, Teal's maybe the only one that you can make a case for for taking off, and that's only because he's coming to the ed end of his career at some point. Um, you know, 31 years old, going on 32. He's out of possibly out of contract. He's got an option. I don't know what the Revs are planning on doing with him, uh, but he's been a very valuable part of this organization. So I think that they would try to keep him around. You know, he's been one of the first ones to come off the bench all year. So I think I think Teal is probably a lock to be in that 12, uh, and he would be in my 12 as well. Yeah, and I guess the one guy that people might call out too is as Ima Boateng. Um, you know, he's a guy that I I forget he's only 27. It feels like he's yeah. been in the league for a long time. Um, so that's that's kind of a tough guy to leave exposed. That that you know maybe you could see a team taking. Um, and I think 
I think the list that that, that uh, Greg is referencing, I think he had him kind of at the top as of guys that could get taken if exposed, and I'd, I'd probably agree with that. Um, and I guess that's another one that you know maybe you could make a case for for you know keeping over over Teal. Um, we don't we don't know the contract situation of, of Tristan either. We assume that he's got more than one year in his contract and that, you know, the revolution control his, his uh, terms for next year, but we don't know that. I believe we do. Uh, give me one second. Um, I believe he signed a two year contract uh, and that was confirmed somewhere. I have two year contract with one team option. So he has, okay. So he is under team control. So that makes that easier. Yeah. I can um, double check that while you talk, but yes. And I believe so, Bunbury has got an option year, right? Is that, am I yes. correct? Yep. Yeah. So they, I mean, they're both under team control. So I think, I think that's probably what the list looks like. I wouldn't be completely shocked if, if Boateng gets kept over one of those two guys, but um, I mean, I guess it, it seems like Tristan is somewhat out of the doghouse after his red card performances. If you know, I, I but we'll we'll see. That that list is pretty solid, and I think either way, the Revolution are in pretty good shape when you when it comes down to it. And the, you know, the fact that Kessler is protected by uh, being a generation Adidas helps the Revs a lot when they're making these decisions. When I believe this these the this list of twelve uh, protected players needs to be submitted after MLS Cup. So we'll see how the playoff run goes, and if there's any any change as far as performance goes there. If anyone makes a case for why they should uh, why they should stay with the Revs, uh, particularly the fringe players that we're looking at, like. Like Teal and Tristison. Yeah, uh, just to follow up to Tristison is on a two-year contract. That's from the team press release. Uh, so he he is here for 2022 unless he is selected. Um, I, I think Tristison might be available for selection here just because of his salary. He's at 375,000, which isn't egregious. It's not a a, a, a um, it's not a Tam player. Um, and it's the same as Teal. Same as Teal. Again, I, I was actually just about to say that. Same as Teal. Teal, I think, 375 in salary, uh, 392 in total compensation this year. Uh, so you could make the argument that, you know, maybe you want that money off the books from one of them. Um, I, I I don't know. Uh, I think Masial, you can make a really strong case for. Uh, he is on the supplemental roster. You're going to lose Tejan Buchanan. If you leave, let Scott Caldwell leave, uh, you already have a, an open spot on the supplemental roster. So you have three players on the supplemental roster already open, uh, three spots on the supplemental roster already open. Um, so I, I could make the argument that you want to keep Maciel uh, and develop him a little bit further. Uh, and again, he doesn't he doesn't take a international spot. I think people kind of forget that for whatever reason. I think I guess he has a green card, uh, but he's not listed as an international on the, the Revolution roster. So he is a cheap young player. Even if he's a rotation piece, uh, he might be kind of worth holding. And then maybe if Tristison didn't work out, maybe, again, this is complete speculation. If Tristison, maybe it's a Bootner situation where he wants to return to Europe. Maybe things just didn't really work out for him. Uh, maybe you leave him unprotected with the knowledge that maybe he's going back. But um, in general, I think this 12, this 12 man list is pretty much the same. I I'd probably take off Tristison and put on Maciel. Um, but I certainly don't have any arguments if someone wants to keep Tristison uh, over Maciel. The, the one thing that I think is uh, worth noting too, is that Charlotte traded to acquire two international roster spots already. So they probably aren't going to be too turned off by any of these guys occupying international spots um, when they're making their selections. Cause they have a lot to play with. Mm. That's a very good point as well. Um, just real quick. Uh, I did mention briefly, and that list does not include uh, Scott Caldwell and Brad Knighton, who I believe are are eligible for free agency. Uh, they're out of contract and eligible for free agency. So we did not consider them. 
Do we believe they're coming back next season? Would we be surprised if they leave? Obviously, those are two long-term staples in Foxborough. Uh, Sean, what are your thoughts about Caldwell and Brad Knighton uh, being out of contract? I could see both of them potentially coming back. I think Scott Caldwell is a relatively cheap depth piece for the revolution at this point. Um, you know, homegrown guy. It would be nice to see him finish his career here. Um, you know, even if he's coming back and I guess he's already in a reduced role, but if he's coming back to kind of play a limited role uh, for, for lower salary, I guess see that And Brad Knighton, you know, I don't know if the revolution, what the deal is with Joe Rice, if the revolution are going to try to sign him to the first team. Um, but if they don't, I wouldn't be surprised if Brad Knighton came back, even if the revolution resigned both of those guys before the expansion draft, uh, I would still leave both of them exposed because, you know, it doesn't make sense to use a, you know, expansion draft protected spot on a goalkeeper that's going to be 37 years old next year and is the backup. Um, and it doesn't make sense to use one on Scott Caldwell, who um, has, has a very reduced role with the revolution at this point. I, I will, I'll just add that Joe Rice uh, tweeted out, uh, well, it's been fun, Boston, or something to that effect. It seemed like a goodbye tweet. Uh, and all signs point to Joe Rice, not only not joining Rebs 1, but it seems like he might be leaving the organization together. So I wouldn't, uh, I, I'm a little surprised by that one, too. We can get into a, a longer discussion about it maybe another time, but uh, that seems to be a big loss. He's nominated for, for goalkeeper of the year in League One. Um, and it just seems like, you know, if you're Joe Rice, he, he you know, Seems like he deserves to be at a better level than Revs two, and seems like he's never going to his chance at Revs one. Uh, so ho- hopefully he find he's going to find a team. He'll he'll probably be successful wherever he goes. But uh, I I don't think he's going to be moving up to the senior team, unfortunately. Yeah, and you know, uh, Sean took the words out of my mouth too. As we're talking about Joe Rice, I was taking that Joe Rice speculation to say the Revolution already know that they have a backup keeper. They're not planning to bring Joe Rice up anytime soon and develop him to be the future of the Revs. So. Uh, yeah, I, I see no reason why Knighton's not going to be the guy. And you're talking about, is he possibly going to get taken uh, in the in the expansion draft? And I, I don't think so. I mean, if you're going to go for someone like that, you might as well just sign uh, Bobby Shuttleworth, who's a free agent now. Um, right. So, you know, of, of course, Bobby Shuttleworth, this is a name that's familiar to us, but there's plenty of other keepers that are going to be out there. Um, it, so I don't think Knighton's going to be picked, especially when you look at the other players that are available uh, are going to be presumably available for the expansion draft. But then uh, Caldwell, I, I'm with you as well. I think that he either resigns or he retires at the end of this season. Um, but Bruce Arena has found a role for him, and uh, he's a he's a fan favorite. It makes sense. He's going to be cheap, like you said. He'll bring him in. I, I don't see any reason to let him walk. So uh, I'm, I'm with I'm with you, Sean. I think they both have a good chance of coming back. Retire. He's like 31. It's not that old. It's just slow. Well, it's, it's FIFA. Yeah, it's it's more about the you know the limited role this year and what he wants to do going forward. Right. But no, he's he's still only thirty. He'll be thirty one in, in March. So it's yeah. not like he it's not like he's old. Um, but you know, would he latch on with another MLS team at this point in his career? Maybe that's what uh, I'm thinking. Yeah. He he's born and raised in this area. He, his family's yeah. here. His home is here. His his life is here. Is he willing to uproot at this time in his in his life to just play MLS soccer elsewhere for? three seasons. I don't think so. Maybe. No, I, I agree. And and even if it means taking a pay cut, I think he's at 205, 216, uh, which is, I mean, really an average MLS veteran at this point. Even if you cut it down to 175, he's probably taking that. He'd, he'd play in a limited role a little bit. So um, I, 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 I don't know. I, I can't imagine a world where Scott Caldwell leaves. Brad Knight and I could see a little bit more because he's kind of bounced around and 
Um, Sean, I know in a previous episode you talked about, you know, he played college uh, with UNC Wilmington. So maybe there is a connection with Charlotte FC. Uh, maybe his former teammate Darius Barnes uh, is interested in him uh, as a backup goalkeeper. Uh, and maybe the Revs like Earl Edwards Jr. Uh, it seems like they've given him a multi-year contract. So maybe maybe they're fine with him being the backup. Uh, maybe the Revs need to go out and sign a whole new keeper altogether if Matt Turner leaves. And uh, they're just going to kind of turn over that position altogether. I, I, don't, I don't really know. Uh, so I, I could see. I, I mean, if, if you okay. if Matt Turner leaves, you want thirty seven year old Brad Knighton to be the everyday goalkeeper? No, right? no, that's what that's what I mean. Why would you right. commit to Brad Knighton and Earl Edwards um, if you have Earl Edwards as your number two and you're going to go out and buy a number one anyway? Right. Look, I'm a thirty six year old keeper, so if anyone's looking, I'm here. <laughs> I'll take any salary. I mean, but well, no, it, it is a good point to bring up again, though, that, you know, he's from North Carolina. So it would make yeah. it, it would make sense for him to have some interest in finishing his career in Charlotte if that's what he wanted to do. And and I'm sure that if that is what he wanted to do, Bruce Arena would help make that happen. Even so, I don't know that, you know, they use an expansion draft pick on him. They might be able to trade a you know fourth round draft pick or something. Who, to the, I, I don't know how much the he's out, he's out of contract. He's out of contract. They just but, signed that, good point. <laughs> yeah, the other thing, too, is is. I mean, we're talking about Charlotte. I bet a lot of teams would be interested in Brad Knighton. Yeah. I, 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 he probably would take a number two role. He doesn't necessarily need a guaranteed starter's role. Um, a lot of teams would sign Brad Knighton for 100. I mean, he's at 140 this year. I'm sure someone would sign him at 150. You know, I, I'm sure, you know, we talked for, I mean, just because of Chris mentioning Bobby Shuttleworth. Um, you know, Chicago could bring him in to back up their whatever. I don't know. Slanina, the yeah. Yeah, the 17-year-old, they, they want a veteran to help him out. I mean, that might be a role that, you know, interests Brad Knighton. I mean, he's been a veteran that's played for other teams, uh, so I think it's a little bit different than the Scott Caldwell situation. But, you know, I, I'm sure Brad Knighton is going to hear from more than one team. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's just my thought. I think he might have a little bit more options than um, Scott Caldwell, who has been from New England his whole life and might want to stay uh, a little bit local and kind of see out his career. Yep, agreed. All right. Well, our lunch break is ending. I think it's time to depart. Any final notes here, uh, Sean and Chris? No, no, nothing for me. I'm just curious to see uh, how the revolution come out of this break and <laughs> with the 23-day gap. And um, looking forward to watching Atlanta, New York City on, on Sunday to see the Revs end up playing. Yeah, no other no other thoughts here. I, you know, like Sean, I'm looking forward to some games. Uh, getting to watch some playoff games, it's always going to be uh, fun and exciting. I'm hoping to catch as many as I can. Uh, over this weekend and then uh, yeah having having a Thanksgiving with the family and, uh, and then getting ready for some Revs soccer again and I, I'm really excited you mentioned that Bobby Shuttleworth is a free agent Chris because now I'm going to get back on the train of bring back Bobby Shuttleworth sign Bobby Shuttleworth uh, and, and get him back in goal maybe he is going we're going to have a situation where Matt Turner replaces Bobby Shuttleworth and Shuttleworth replaces Turner can you imagine? Oh, you can't. No one can see on video, but Chris just put his head in his, his hands in his uh, head in his hands. Very, very, uh, very stressed out at that suggestion. That didn't even cross his mind. Uh, Cody right. Crawford's available too, Chris. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure he'll stay available. <laughs> we need to we need to start putting Yikes. these on YouTube just so we could show Chris's reaction when I make a terrible suggestions. So. Uh, <laughs> Before we go, I want to just uh, give a quick shout out to uh, Teal Bunbury's Turkey Drive. I'm sure there's a better name for it. His Thanksgiving Turkey Drive. Uh, if you haven't donated to it yet, uh, please consider doing so. Teal does this every single year. Uh, and him and a few other Revolution players have teamed up uh, to raise money to feed some families that are less fortunate uh, over the holidays. Um, we'll provide a link in the show notes. Uh, but also, if you go to Teal Bunbury's Twitter, uh, it's there as well. Uh, I'm sure 
you've heard about it uh, from the team or some other outlets, but uh, they are, I think, very close to their goal. I think they're trying to raise 15000 uh, and it ends next week. So please consider uh, donating there. Uh, and that does it for us. I think we're going to be off until the first playoff game. I'm not completely sure. So we will speak to, yeah, I think so, right? Uh, we have the right. thing. Yeah, probably. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I didn't I didn't think about this, but I'm now I'm now thinking about it uh, while I'm on the show. But uh, want to wish all of our listeners a happy Thanksgiving. Uh, and until we talk to you next, go Rebs. <laughs>